Few people realise how easy it is to do genetic engineering at home, said Andrew casually, as they strolled hand in hand along the esplanade. The equipment cost me only a few thousand. Not everyone's as smart as you, said Julia kindly. In truth, she was getting tired of hearing about genetic engineering and wasn't sure she entirely approved. The basic techniques are easy enough to learn, said Andrew. Any biology undergraduate could master them. Where I've really taken it to the next level is in the computer analysis of gene complexes. I can create organisms that don't even look much like anything that ever previously existed. Isn't that cruel? I wouldn't want to be the only human who'd ever existed. Oh, I've only created plants and fungi, said Andrew. I'll show you sometime. Sounds a bit scary, laughed Julia. Are you sure it's safe? Of course, said Andrew. They're just plants. You've probably eaten thousands of genetically modified plants. I suppose, she said, doubtfully. They had met a week earlier at a dinner party with a professor. Andrew seemed to her frankly weird, but also intriguing. He possessed a boyish enthusiasm that she found attractive, but the rest of his personality was increasingly repelling her. He abruptly sneezed. What's that scent you're wearing, he said. Patchouli, she replied, you don't like it. It's a bit cloying, he said. It makes me sneeze. I'll try to remember to wear less next time, she said, privately resolving to wear even more. They walked along in silence for a while, listening to the waves crash against the rocks on the beach. Eventually he spoke. So when would you like to see my experimental greenhouse? She tried to think through the pros and cons as quickly as possible. They're expecting me back at the lab by two, she said, otherwise I would. How about Tuesday afternoon, he said. Okay. As she explained to her friends later that day, Julia felt conflicted. There was something not quite right about Andrew. Perhaps he just wasn't warm enough. On the other hand, for someone studying plant development, the experimental greenhouse did sound interesting. If nothing else, she'd have a story to tell her colleagues at the lab. She could see the greenhouse, then gently break it off with him. Andrew's lab was located at an address on a leafy street, not far from her own rented apartment. She wasn't quite sure what sort of a place was actually to be found at this address. 
but at least there was nothing sinister about the location. Quite the opposite. All the same, she arranged for a friend to phone her after half an hour and check that she hadn't been murdered. She arrived at 3pm and rang the bell. The house was huge and covered in ivy. Andrew promptly answered. He seemed a lot nicer than the previous time they'd met and she remembered what had attracted her to him in the first place. A small dog barked somewhere in the back of the house. Come in, come in, he said. Don't mind him, he doesn't bite. A little Scotty dog ran at her, yapping. I'm sorry if I was a bit weird last time. I haven't been sleeping well recently. Too much coffee. You know, people tell me I say the wrong thing all the time, but I don't mean to. I'm a bit autistic. Get down, Linnaeus. He kissed her on the cheek. Don't worry, I say silly things all the time, she said. Is this place all yours? Yes, my parents left it to me. It's too big for me, really. But the greenhouse is very useful. I've never shown it to anyone before. I'm honoured, she said. It was an odd sort of date, she thought. Perhaps she could make a friend out of him, an eccentric friend. Inside, the house was beautiful. The walls were painted an off-shade of white, and large windows let in enough sun to perfectly illuminate the plants and pencil sketches, mostly of plants, that hung on the walls. Did you do all of these? she asked, gazing at the sketches. Yes, do you like them? They're incredible, she said. The sketches were minutely detailed, some depicted common plants, others plants that she didn't recognise. What's this one? she said, pointing at a sketch. Oh, that's Delilah. Delilah? One of my first creations. She's a cross between a nettle and a mint. You could never do that with traditional techniques. I have another three just like her in the greenhouse. Would you like some tea? They sat and drank a herbal tea of Andrew's own creation, while Andrew rattled on about his experiments and his greenhouse. She started to think that his main reason for asking her out was to have someone to show his greenhouse to. He wasn't anything like any man she'd previously dated, that was for sure. Linnaeus had calmed down and nestled himself on the sofa next to her. Andrew, meanwhile, sat on an armchair. Eventually Julia's friend rang and she told her she'd see her later that day. She didn't sense any danger. Andrew seemed eccentric, but harmless. Finally, Andrew said, come and look at the greenhouse. She sensed he had barely been able to contain himself. Everything else for him had only been a distraction. The greenhouse was enormous. She estimated it spanned at least a third of an acre. It was as if Andrew had a stray building from London's Kew Gardens in his backyard. A blast of warm, moist air hit her as he opened the door. Linnaeus happily scampered in 
Evidently he was also something of a botanist. I could breed plants for cold climates, but everything grows so much faster in warmer temperatures, he explained. So I focus on the tropical or semi-tropical stuff. Any comparison with Q ended once she saw the plants. They were all completely unknown to science. Every single plant in here has been heavily engineered by me at the very least, said Andrew. Many of them I devised almost from scratch. The greenhouse contained plants exhibiting a far greater range of colours than could normally be expected and a far greater variety of leaf shapes. Julia's eye was caught by a plant that had perfectly circular blue leaves. How did you do this? she said wonderingly. It's just genetic engineering, he said. The trick is all in the software I wrote. It intelligently combines genes from multiple organisms. This one's got some jellyfish genes in it too. Are they bred with a particular aim in mind, she asked, thinking of her own work on drought-tolerant wheat. Beauty, said Andrew. Principally I breed them to be beautiful, but not just visually beautiful, I mean functionally beautiful, intellectually beautiful. For example, this one combines attributes of the peanut and the coconut. He indicated a small, sturdy-looking shrub that was sending runners of some kind down into the ground. Picking up a machete from a small table, he dug about in the earth with its point, reached down and pulled up what looked for all the world like a small red coconut. He proceeded to cut off the end with the machete, then he offered it to Julia. Here, drink, he said. She hesitated. It's safe. Inside the coconut was a watery liquid. It smelt like a cross between coconut milk and pineapple juice. Andrew was still holding the machete, but he didn't particularly scare her. He appeared only full of enthusiasm for showing her his creations. She put the nut to her lips and cautiously took a sip. Then she smiled. It's delicious, she exclaimed. Isn't it, he said. I ramped up glucose synthesis and made it produce aliphatic esters characteristic of the pineapple. But couldn't they escape into the wild, she asked. Oh no, he said. That's another advantage of working with tropical material. Most of them couldn't survive the low temperatures outside. He reached towards a bank of switches near the door. Watch this. He flicked a switch and black blinds began to roll up all around the greenhouse, blocking out the sunlight. As the last vestiges of sunlight disappeared, she saw that many of the plants emitted light of their own, glowing in a profusion of pink, orange, purple and reddish colours. With the sunlight entirely blocked out, there was still enough light from the plants to see by. They're luminous, she said. About half of them, said Andrew. I can't fully enjoy a plant unless it glows in the dark. P. 
Peering down at the coconut shell she was holding, she noticed the liquid inside it also glowed. Don't worry, said Andrew, it's completely non-toxic. Here, let me give you a tour. Then I'll open the blinds from the other side and we can walk back in the light. They wandered through the many twisting paths of the bizarre luminescent nursery. Andrew had cultivated not only many luminous plants, but also luminous fungi, and many plants that hardly looked like plants at all. Glowing spherical fungi the size of oranges have been strategically placed along the edges of the paths, and luminous vines bearing glowing fruits hung from the ceiling. Julia's mind was working overtime. Andrew was clearly a genius, but a misguided genius. If his mind could only be applied to solving real problems, famine and malnutrition could be made a thing of the past. Medicines could be grown, replacing huge chemical factories. Perhaps plants could grow useful plastic and fungi could decompose it. At the very end of the greenhouse was a low bush, about knee high, visible only in the light from the other plants, but a very striking appearance. Linnaeus had already found it, and was standing and yapping at it when they reached it. Andrew flicked a switch to draw back the blinds so she could see the shrub properly. She blinked in the sudden bright light. The plant didn't seem to have any leaves at all, but consisted of long, pinkish-purple fleshy spikes, covered in small hairs, bearing beads of what looked like dew. This is my latest experiment, he said. I've designed it to grow as rapidly as possible. It's quite something, said Julia, faintly. Watch this, said Andrew. He reached to a low shelf attached to the wall and took a piece of some brown substance from a box. Dried beef, he explained. He dropped the meat onto the shrub. The tentacles that the meat had touched rapidly curled around it, completely enveloping it. Ugh, said Julia involuntarily. I borrowed many of the genes from Drosera, but it's fast like Mimosa pudica or Dionaea muscipula, he said. It's taken me months of work. Linnaeus had ceased yapping and was regarding the plant suspiciously from the other side of the path. It's very impressive, said Julia. Wasted talent, she thought privately. When she finally left Andrew's house that day, her mind was buzzing with ideas. The first person she told was Professor Stevens. What you describe is the holy grail of plant breeding, he said, as they sat in his little office at the campus. Your friend must have discovered some ingenious methods for linking genes to function and then arbitrarily assembling different functions. As you know, we can splice whatever genes together we like, but we often don't understand their function or how they will operate together. His software must have solved that problem. I can't imagine how. His technology would be incredibly useful, wouldn't it, Richard? said Julia. We could use it for all sorts of things. Someone certainly could, said Professor Stevens. 
As for me, I'm old and I prefer to stick to conventional techniques, but in the right hands, I mean. Take the 2017 famine in Somalia, for instance. Sandra calculated we'd need only an extra 10% drought tolerance in maize, and that famine virtually wouldn't have happened. We can't get to 10% with conventional methods. Neither, so far, can the genetic modification guys if we could only give maize a thicker, waxier outer husk. The problem is, I don't know how keen he is on sharing his secrets, said Julia. But he must, said Stevens. Make him see, Julia. This technology is too powerful to remain the hobby of one fellow. Julia had to fly to a conference in Zagreb the next day, but Andrew made her promise to return to his house as soon as she got back. All through the conference she found herself thinking how puny were the techniques being presented compared to what Andrew had discovered. Professor Stevens was right, Andrew must share his secrets. The next week she found herself again ringing the bell of the old ivy-covered house, this time with a new sense of trepidation mixed with excitement. She was determined to persuade him to publish. Inside, Andrew seemed different and weirder, even compared to previous occasions. Julia, I want to ask you something, he said, his eyes strangely wide. Go on, she said. He got up from his armchair and sat next to her on the sofa. She noticed he was shaking. I know this is a little sudden, he said. I want to ask you to marry me. For a few moments she was stunned into complete silence. They had met only a handful of times. She barely knew him and was hoping to take their already odd relationship in quite the opposite direction. Andrew, I… the thing is, I can't, I mean… He was staring at her intently with wide eyes and she couldn't quite formulate her thoughts. She had never anticipated anything like this. Suddenly he seemed to collapse into the sofa. No, no, I, I understand, he said. Really, it was just an idea. I always say the wrong thing. It's just that I don't often meet people, I mean women, I can get on with. It's okay, she said, it's fine. Perhaps we could be friends for a bit, get to know each other. Andrew's mouth opened, but no sound came out. Then he drew a deep breath and said, Yes, of course, I'd like that. Sorry, shall we have a tea? Oh, okay, Julia stammered. When he went to the kitchen to make the tea, she let out a huge sigh and shook her head to herself. This was getting weirder and weirder. When he came back, he seemed suddenly a lot more normal again. They sipped tea and chatted about plants. Where's Linnea? said Julia, suddenly noticing the absence of the little dog. He had an accident, said Andrew. Oh no, said Julia. He ran out into the road and got hit by a car, said Andrew. I couldn't stop him. He was quite old anyway, I don't think he would have lasted much longer. The little Scotty hadn't seemed old at all to her, but she didn't know much about dogs. I'm so sorry, Andrew, she said. It's quite okay, he said. 
Look, let's go and look at the plants. The plants always cheer me up. I have something new to show you. You'll be impressed. They stood up and suddenly she felt faint and a little sick. Would you mind if I use your bathroom first? She asked, thinking that splashing some cold water on her face and being alone for a few moments might help. A lot of weird things had happened in a very short space of time. Sure, it's upstairs, first room on the right. Careful with the stairs, they're quite treacherous. In the bathroom, she cupped her hands under the tap, drank some cold water and wetted her forehead. It didn't seem to help. On impulse, she opened the bathroom cabinet, curious what Andrew kept in there. In the cabinet were no less than eight bottles of pills, all full, all containing some sort of medicine. She recognised the name of the medicine. Her best friend had been diagnosed with a serious mental disorder at the age of only 19 and had been prescribed exactly those pills. Fortunately, the pills had seemed to work and her friend had recovered, but she still had to take the pills to stay on track. Here were eight unopened bottles. Why would Andrew have so many? The likely explanation hit her quite suddenly. They were being prescribed to him. He was supposed to be taking them. He wasn't taking them. She was starting to feel quite sick. Andrew was waiting for her downstairs. Let's go, he said. I can't wait to show you what I've been working on. Andrew, I'm not feeling so well, she said. Perhaps I'd better go home. Oh, he said. Well, just come and see this one thing and then I'll drive you home. There's a car in the garage. I don't drive much, but it's perfectly serviceable. Reluctantly, she followed him into the greenhouse. This time, he didn't draw the blinds. He headed straight for the back. As they approached the rear end of the greenhouse, she saw something that hadn't been there previously. An enormous spiky thing, perhaps seven feet high. My God, said Julia. You see, said Andrew triumphantly, it's growing at an unprecedented rate. Not even bamboo grows this fast and Drosera actually grows quite slowly. That's because it can only take in nutrition at a very limited rate. This is quite different. It has a voracious appetite. You mean this is the same plant we saw before, said Julia faintly. Her head was starting to swim. But it wasn't even as high as my knee last time. Exactly, said Andrew. I've been feeding it. As she stirred in awe and revulsion at the huge, now leathery purple tentacles, they seemed to pulse slightly in waves, like the tentacles of a sea anemone. She wasn't sure if the effect was real, or she had some kind of migraine coming on. Something caught her eye near the foot of the plant, a little tuft of white hair. Andrew followed her gaze. Linnaeus was always trying to attack it, he said sadly. It's a shame he didn't live to see it like this. 
Suddenly he sneezed. Are you wearing patchouli again, he said. I thought I told you I don't like it. I forgot, she said. It's my favourite perfume. Then, abruptly, she vomited. Oh dear, said Andrew. That'll be the drug. Not to worry. You'll have absorbed most of it by now. It'll make the process less painful. What? said Julia, turning to face him. Arcturus needs feeding, said Andrew. If you're not going to make yourself useful as a companion, you can make yourself useful as plant food. He pushed her backwards into the hideous, writhing monstrosity. She screamed. Relax, shouted Andrew. Think of it as recycling. The moist tentacles stuck to her arms, her leg and her face. But they didn't seem to be closing on her. Andrew noticed it too. He's not used to food of this size, he said, frowning. Then he placed his hands on her ribcage and tried to push her further into the plant. The tentacles began to close on him and he tried to push them away with his elbows. She grabbed him and tried to pull herself out while he continued to press her further into the mass of sticky purple spikes. The tentacles started to close on his face and he loosened his grasp on her and tried to pull them off himself. She managed to get her arm around his back and used him to leave herself free. She emerged from the carnivorous plant with a horrible sucking sound. Julia! shouted Andrew, his voice muffled as the tentacles closed in on his face. I told you not to wear patchouli! She ran. At the door she couldn't figure out which switch opened it and accidentally activated the blinds. Finally, she managed to open the door as the greenhouse was plunged into an eerie, luminescent gloom. By the time the police arrived, Andrew was hopelessly digested. Officers from obscure government agencies soon arrived and drove her away for questioning. They let her go after four hours, warning her that she'd face serious consequences if she ever spoke of what had happened. To anyone. Professor Stevens never mentioned Andrew again either. Evidently they had talked to him too. He referred to the whole thing only once very obliquely. They were examining a Drosera at the time. I had to move it further away from the mint, he said. It seems to hate essential oils. A month later, the house was put up for sale, the greenhouse having been removed. She had occasional nightmares for several years afterwards. When she awoke in the night, screaming, often she took out her little bottle of patchouli and placed a few dabs behind her ears. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this story, Please attempt to feed yourself to a Venus flytrap and let me know what happens. Also, consider subscribing.